This is Beth Bruno, and you're listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. On this podcast, I amplify the feminine voice and curate feminine glory so that you, my listener, find your own fierce and lovely story. It has become somewhat of a sacred journey for me to uncover the stories of women from around the world throughout time and present day. The more fierce and lovely women I explore, the more I fall in love with the one in whose image we reflect. My hope is that in this space, you embrace your own beautifully ordinary life as the majority story most of us are living. And welcome back to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. I don't know about you, but transitions are such a, a normal part of my life. I have made so many uh, in my life. I, I can't even count how many homes I've lived in since I was born, how many moves my husband and I have made. We are currently living in the, the house where we have been the longest of our entire 25 years of marriage. We're going on 10 years, which feels just surreal. And in fact, I get so antsy when I, um, after, you know, every few years being in the same place that something has to change. And since my house has not changed in the last 10 years, I have painted every room in the house. Some of those rooms have been painted three times. Uh, it's just a need for change. But I will say some changes are not so fun. And sometimes they're really hard. A new job, new church, new school, uh, new city, new country, change is hard. And my guest today, Gina Butts, uh, on staff with Crew International, is coming out with a new book called Making Peace with Change, Navigating Life's Messy Transitions with Honesty and Grace. Gina lives in Florida with her husband and um, one daughter left at home before she becomes an empty nester, and Gina has known transition. She herself has been all over the world. She and her husband have lived in three countries, two states, um, all the different jobs, and she has a lot of wisdom to share with us. And so even if the unique aspect of Gina's life is not yours, I know that the, the concept of transitioning well um, applies to all of us. And so I hope that you um, learn from today's conversation. As always, in the show notes, I'm going to have reflection questions for you to consider more for yourself or take into a discussion with friends or, or fellow women. Um, you can also find in the show notes where to buy Gina's new book and how to find out more about her. And I just want to encourage you, if you enjoy the Fierce and Lovely podcast, would you be so kind as to go over to Apple Podcasts and not only leave a rating, but maybe a little review, just a sentence or two. It continues to just draw attention to the podcast. Would love for you also to share it with friends, tag people um, on Instagram. If you're over there, I'm there at Fierce Lovely. Uh, tag people when I share about the show and let's just continue to spread the word um, as I amplify the feminine voice and help bring the conversation of Fierce and Lovely um, to more and more women. So thanks so much for being here. Here's my conversation with Gina. Well, hi, Gina, and welcome to the Fierce and Lovely podcast. Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me. 
I, if you don't mind, I would love to start off with asking you a question that I don't normally ask, but it still feels like the beginning of a new year. And so I wonder if you would share with us one thing you're really hoping for in 2020. Yeah, that's a great question. I think one of the things in the last year or so, I've been involved in um, the the program of spiritual formation at the Transforming Center with Ruth Haley Barton the last year. And um, it's just made me um, very mindful of the sort of the liturgy of my life. How do I order my days? And um, along with that, just other things that God has been showing me, things that I've been reading and stuff. I've just, this word mindful has become really important. Am I mindful of my body and what it's telling me? And when I'm pushing myself too hard, am I mindful of my soul and what it needs? And so I just feel like God's been leading me in this direction of um, just awareness of how I'm doing. Um, Cause I do have a tendency to kind of, to push myself and to, and to be hard on myself and to keep going and not often take time to stop and let my soul breathe and let my body tell me how I'm doing. So I just, I'm looking forward to this year and just, can I just kind of give myself some more space in that way? Um, and just see how, how I feel at the end of the year. Um, it just feels like a a sense of relaxing, um, as I'm going through this year, hopefully we'll see. Mm, Wow. That sounds amazing. Thank you. That was a totally unscripted (laughs) response as well. So thoughtful. Uh, is that, so is that, are you able to do that locally? No, it's in Chicago, actually. So I go there once a quarter, and um, and I was just there last week. And we the focus of that retreat was scripture, and I it was probably my favorite one so far. Far it was the fourth one, and it's just been really great because it just gives me this check in every quarter of how I'm doing, and to just be with like minded people, and um, yeah, to connect with God, and uh, it's just been really invitational. Hmm. Wow. Well, thank you. Thanks for sharing that. That's a beautiful thing to be hoping for in 2020. And not to take something so deep and meaningful and then come right back up to the surface with something ridiculous. But (laughs) in the... In the flavor of getting to know you a little bit better, you are yeah. in Florida, and yes. you might have thought I was joking before we hit record on this call, but I really would love for you to share <laughs> some of the things that only in Florida would you um, hear. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's this week, we actually had a, a quote-unquote cold spell. I, I saw someone who was visiting on Tuesday and from, from a different state, and then I, I said, I'm sorry you came on winter. Like today, just today is winter because it actually got down to 35 degrees that night. Um, What I think is really funny is every time they do this, every time it gets cold enough to potentially freeze, there are these reports that go around to remind us that when it gets that cold, iguanas freeze because they're cold-blooded and then they fall out of trees and they might hit you. (laughs) And I think it is so funny. I call it the Florida wind chill advisory because... We do get sometimes wind chill advisories, but they're ridiculous because it's like, I grew up in Minnesota where the wind chill advisory is like, you might die or you might lose a, you know, like an extremity. And here it's like, you might need a light jacket. <laughs> you know, it's just so, it's like, it might be, it feels like 42. Um, but I think the other thing too is like only in Florida, do you just, like I had a friend who went out in her garage and there was a gator in her garage and she just an alligator. Yes, an alligator. And so she just shut the door and went back inside. 
and called animal control because he's just, yeah. And she doesn't even live near water. Um, so I just fully thought that moving here, I would see alligators just walking down the street. I was terrified for my dog. I thought surely she'll get eaten. And um, they're actually not as common, at least for me. I feel like I'm the only person that doesn't see gators, but um, I do occasionally. Um, but yeah, there's just, there are a lot of animals. Like it's really common for people to pull snakes out of their pools or <laughs> their laundry or something, you know, it's just right. a lot of, there are a lot of animals here. <laughs> My parents live in Florida and whenever we visit, it's hilarious. The, the fear, the panic of hurry, close the door, hurry, don't let the geckos in the house. That's what they're worried about. <laughs> and so we're constantly like, did she close the door? Did you close the door? Did a gecko get in behind us? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think it's funny too. Like I was, I'm amazed at like the, I wouldn't call it jadedness, but just the like nonchalant attitude that, that, um, Floridians can have toward hurricanes because they're just, they're actually not super common, but the threat of them, you know, it's a real threat when they do come. But I mean, it's, it's funny how they'll do that, but then it gets it down into like the forties and everyone freaks out, you know, and I'm like, I think we can weather this more easily than the, you know, potential category three that's coming at us, you know, but yes, that's hilarious. hilarious (laughs) Right. Something's not consistent here. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, Gina, you have, you've not lived in Florida forever. You mentioned you're from Minnesota and um, you spent a long time overseas and you share a lot of those stories in your new book, Making Peace with Change. And so I would love to transition into talking about uh, transitions, which is what you have written about in your new book. And um, why don't you start off just maybe in a nutshell, talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about the various transitions that you have had. I would actually be so curious to know how, if you've ever counted the number (laughs) of houses that you have been in, (laughs) Um, but tell us a little bit of backstory so that it's more meaningful when we dive deeper into that idea of transition. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I did grow up in Minnesota, but since I was 16 years old, I haven't lived in the same house for more than, this is the longest time we've been in this house for seven years. Um, and the longest, this is also the longest we've been in any one, um, city, um, consecutively. So when my husband and I got married in 97, we were living in Minneapolis and I think we counted that in the 22 years we've been married, we've lived in nine or 10 different homes. Um, and we've lived in three different countries and two different States. So, and also in that time, you know, I became a mom and I was a homeschool mom. Um, I became a dog owner, which that transition is one that I talk about in the book because I ended up having to go to counseling because it was so <laughs> dramatic. Um, I don't know a lot of people who can say that, but um, yeah. And uh, and then my my husband has served at like every level of leadership for our organization. So, you know, him tr- changing to new jobs was a transition for me as well. And then I've also um, transitioned from a number of different positions in our ministry through the years two. And then we're coming up on our daughter, who's our second child and last child um, graduating this spring. So we'll be empty nesters. And that's a whole transition that we're 
staring down right now. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. That is a lot. And that might be more than the average person mm-hmm. um, for sure. And definitely some unique uh, aspects in there of cross cultural living and moving overseas. But so who among us today does not experience transition? Right. Right. How normal is it these days to stay in one place your entire life? We're all always moving around, whether it's a house or a school or a new job or a new church, um, new community. And those are just the micro transitions in our in our same town, let alone moving states and and all of that. So everyone is affected mm-hmm. by transition. And yet it's hard. Yeah. It's this hard thing. So talk to us about that. Um, why why is it so hard? What's some of the what's going on for us when we're facing a transition that would make it so difficult? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think as much as, you know, I know there are people who who like change. I'm, I'm not one of those people. Um, but even I think those who enjoy change, I think there's something in us that longs for solidness and longs for a rootedness where we feel known and we feel needed and we feel like we have a way to um, contribute to the world, to offer our gifts. And when we're in transition, whether it's um, relational, you know, we get married or someone, you know, our friends get married or we become parents or something like that, or it's vocational or it's geographical. And oftentimes they're together. It's not, you know, it's like you move to a new city and your relationships are affected and you probably moved because of a job. Um, and so all, that sense of rootedness and solidness feels shaken and, um, and I think a lot of the places where we've found identity, we feel like we've lost. And so there's just a sense of like being kind of dropped in the middle of an ocean and we want solid ground and we, we're not sure where to find it. So there's this time of sort of uh, unsettledness that we have to navigate. And that's that's for kind of the best case scenario, a change yeah. that is positive. Yeah. It, it might be for a lot of good reasons, and yet that need for rootedness is still there, let alone a change that is unwanted. Yeah. Um, right. I think of so many of my friends who are in, who are now single, but don't want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, they're recently divorced or widowed or um, have not yet married. And so there's unwanted change as well, which is probably a whole nother level of feeling unrooted and um, lack of identity, right? Well, yeah. And I think one of the hardest situations is when there's a change that you wanted to have happen and then it's harder than you expected or um, it's just, it, yeah, it, you weren't planning for it to be this hard. And then it feels like, I think that's where the enemy can step in with a lot of shame. Like, but you chose this, so you should be happy. I mean, I even felt that to a degree when we when we got our dog, and it was so hard. And um, and I would take we would take her places because she wasn't trained, and we couldn't leave her for very long. We would take her places, and she is a really cute dog. And people would be like, "Oh my gosh, she's so cute! Don't you just love her?" And inside, I was like, "No, I kind of want to throw her out the window right now." But I thought I can't say that right because I sound like a terrible person. Um, but I mean, that's, you know, kind of on a joking level, but I think of like friends of mine who've um, struggled with infertility and then they, they go through the whole adoption process and they get a child and they don't bond with that child and it's devastating. And it's like, I wanted this 
and now it's harder than I expected. And I don't know what to do with that, you know, or Mm. you get married and it's like, oh, my lifelong dream of getting married. And I don't know how to live with this person. Right. And so I think that's when the enemy can really step in and be like, you can't complain about this. You can't talk about it because you chose it. And so why aren't you happy? And, you know, so I think, yeah, there's all different levels of how we can experience transition. And so a lot of that is around our own expectations, right? That we're bringing into whatever the change is. Talk a little bit about how, how do we begin to navigate those expectations so that the transition is less painful? (laughs) Yeah. I, I think I say in the book that, um, expectations feel like desire with a defined shape, like, desire gets stirred up in us in transition, but then we take that desire, that legitimate need that we have, and we think this is how it should be fulfilled. Like this is what this season should look like. And we form this sort of ideal. And then we get so locked into it that I think it it keeps us from seeing where God might be doing something totally new, or he might want to show us something that we're just not open to because we're like laser focused on this expectation. And we have expectations on ourselves. We have expectations on others and how they'll step in for us. And we have expectations on God and how he's going to work. And I think that's the most dangerous of all, because if we don't examine the expectation that we have on God, I think we're in danger of forming God into our own image and how he should work and how he should treat us and love us. Um, so yeah, that's been, I, I remember for me as a, as a new mom, uh, I, <laughs> I made a schedule when I was pregnant of how I thought I was going to spend my time when my son was born. And then I found that schedule when he was like three months old. And I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, I mean, it was just ridiculous. Like the, the, I just really, it looked like I thought I was just going to, um, strap him in a baby Bjorn and go about my life as it was before, like as though he weren't even human and had no needs. You know, it was just ridiculous. Um, right. But it just revealed my expectations, right? Like, and the, the, that stemmed from really legitimate desires of like, I, I, we were living overseas. We'd gone there to do ministry. I wanted to keep doing ministry. I mean, but there were expectations on my husband, on my friend who had a three-month-old, like, so, oh, she could watch him during this time, you know, like, I don't know what I was thinking. Um, but you know, like I think when we when we stop and really examine our expectations, there's this invitation, I think, from God to to surrender those and to surrender the idea that we have of how life should look. And I think when we do that, then it opens us up to what he might be doing that is totally new and different. Have you ever walked through a season where you're able to get to that point, surrendering your expectation, um, able to to wonder, at least to be curious about what he's doing, and yet that waiting, that, that time period feels endless. And in that time period, actually, you wonder, where is his kindness? Mm. Why aren't things e- easier? Why aren't things... Um, kept picking up, improving in any way. It just, it goes on and on. And so sometimes that, that transition, that change is just, it makes us question, God, where are you? Yeah. Who are you? Yeah. What are you doing? Can, can you speak to that, a, a season in your life where you've experienced that? 
Yeah. Um, the, so we lived, when we were overseas, we lived for five years in Singapore. And um, the last two years that we were there, God brought me into this season where I was really sick. Um, it was totally unexpected. And, um, and it just, and it lasted for a really long time. And, uh, and I, you know, I saw, I could see ways that he was slowing me down. I could see ways that he was inviting me, you know, just to, to like surrender my health, to surrender, you know, the day to day things I was trying to do. Um, but I was not happy with that. And I just, um, I remember sitting one day on my couch talking to him about it. And I was like, I know that you could take this away right now. You could heal me right now. And so I had to just sit with like, why don't you? Like, why am I here in this place? And I, and I finally just said, why don't you make it easier? I know you could make it easier. And it just felt like his, his invitation to me in that moment was, Gina, really what you're asking is, I don't want to have to need you this much. Like, that's really what you're mm. saying. You know, because I didn't, I didn't like that that season brought me to this place of weakness and a place of dependence and a place where I just like every day I had to see like, what could I do today? It's probably not what I would like, what my previous capacity, I would have been able to do all these things. And yet you have me here. And so I can't say that I, that I um, navigated that like amazingly well, you know, but I think what I'm coming to realize is that the the faithful response in in those seasons of waiting isn't necessarily a steady response like i never waver through unbelief in this but i feel like the the response that god i think hopes for from us is a persistent response you know that i would keep coming back to him even if i'm coming back to him with like my frustration and my doubt and my questioning at least i'm still coming back to him right? Like he, that's Mm -hmm. what he desires is this persistent pursuit of him and belief. I think one of the things, one of the passages that comes to mind for me is I think of seasons of waiting that God has had me in is um, when Jesus, when his teaching became really difficult for people and some people left and he looked at his disciples and he said, do you want to leave me too? And to me, that's such a vulnerable question on Jesus's part. Like it just shows this desire that he had for a relationship with them. And, and they say, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I feel like the seasons of waiting that God has had me in, he's brought that question of like, well, are you going to leave me too, Gina? Because you don't understand what I'm doing or why I'm making you wait. Do you really want me? Or do you just want I, what I give you? And so I feel like that question I've had to, you know, wrestle with. And I, and I feel like he does bring me back to this place of, no, I, I think ultimately I do want you. I would love for it to be easier too, but, but I, want to, I want to stay here because I know that you, you are the way of life. Well, that, that question that you felt God inviting you or it was his invitation of you just don't want to need me yeah. this much. Yeah. Um, really, oh that that really sits heavy with me. Mm-hmm. That is what it boils down to, mm-hmm. isn't mm-hmm. it? Well, Gina, what kinds of things can people do um, to mitigate some of their own spiritual not mitigate, but in their own spiritual wrestling as they're making transition, needing God, tr- needing to trust in Him, um, any things that that they ought to be mindful of or um, 
could be doing that would just draw them closer to him in that process? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I talk about in the book that I think is really important is this idea of desire and what you're doing with desire. Because I think it's really easy for us to want to shut down what we're feeling in transition, especially because emotion can get messy. And when you're trying to um, figure out a new job or you're trying to um, be a new parent or settle the boxes into the new house, like it's like, I don't have time for this, right? And so we want to just like, if we're feeling lonely or feeling um, incompetent, we just want to shut that down and and keep being productive. But I think um, what I would encourage people to do is to give yourself space to sit with what desire is being stirred up in me in transition and not to shame it or judge it, but just to recognize what it is, um, whether it's a desire to be known or a desire to feel like you know what you're doing, like what does that say about you and and um, and how you're relating to God or others. I think there's just so much that we can understand about ourselves in transition if we're willing to just linger a little bit with with what we're feeling and what we're experiencing. Um, and then to, I think to be gracious with it, you know, we're so quick to, um, to minimize our desire or spiritualize it like, well, it's hard, but good, you know, God's in this. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But if you're not acknowledging what's really happening and you're not honest about it, then you're shutting him out from, from inviting him in to minister to you and, and provide comfort and provide healing and strength and, um, so I think there's just an honesty that needs to happen in transition about how hard it is and why it's hard and what what buttons are being pushed in you and um, and what does that say about where you've been looking for life? That's so true. Just being curious mm-hmm. and with what what it's inviting us to explore yeah. in our own heart. Yeah. Do you have any sense of what what might be normal for someone transitioning, like? I'm sure when you moved overseas, you were told something like, you know, give it a year or give it two years before you really feel settled here. Is there a sense of timeline? Like, okay, if you're going to move in a different state, you, this is probably a normal time frame of, of feeling uprooted or do you know yeah, what I'm asking? Sure. Well, I know they told us when we moved, cause we were overseas for 13 years and someone told us when you, so for every three to four years that you're overseas, it takes a year to adjust to being back in America. Um, so, and I did find that to be true. I felt like it took me about four years to adjust to feeling like I was really settled and rooted here. But I think, um, I think what I would say is everyone's heart has their own timeline. And, um, I would say, listen to, um, listen to your own soul and listen to God, because I think, um, especially when you move somewhere new, you'll often get the question, do you feel settled? Do you feel settled? And we'll start to build this pressure like, well, I better be because people seem to think that I should be. Um, and everybody's situation is different. You know, I, I think of when I moved here, I had a good friend who moved from my same city and she and her family moved here. And she, it seemed like she went didn't go through transition at all, but she was in a community um, that I was in not, um, just because of the, the program that they were involved in here in our ministry. And so she had a built-in support system that I didn't. And so that made it different. Um, so you really can't 
you know, compare in that sense. So I would say, um, expect, expect that you're going to have a period of time where you feel messy and that's okay. And, um, and just to be open. And I think over time it, it, I feel like, um, especially when it comes to grieving, which is such an important part of transition. Uh, I imagine as you're walking through transition that it's sort of like being in the ocean and you're, you're coming to solid ground and you're walking further and further onto shore and the late, the waves are still coming at you and they're still lapping at you, but the closer you get to shore, the less they affect you. So it's not like you have a a definitive point of I'm done now and I'm through transition. You know, there's just always little waves that'll come at you, but you, I think as the closer you come to solid ground, the, the less they impact you. And they just kind of are gentle reminders of what you've lost and left behind. Oh, that's a great illustration. I, I love that. That's really great to picture. Gina, as you look at your next big transition, becoming an empty nester, (laughs) um, what are you and your husband thinking about? What are you hoping for? Do you, have you thought about what life is really going to look like next year? Yeah. um, (laughs) One of the first things we've said is we're going to buy annual passes to Disney (laughs) because... We had them one year and our kids loved it at the beginning of the year. They were so excited. And by the end of the year, if there was a day when I'd say, hey, we're going to Disney today, they'd be like, oh, again. (laughs) So they got over it. And I just, I love it. I think it's just fun. And we know a lot of people in town who have them. So for us, it feels like a way to stay connected and to go deeper with people in our community here to do that. Um, So I think we're, we're definitely thinking of, we're conscious of, of this space that our daughter's going to leave, you know, just the loss of that. She's, she plays soccer a lot. And, um, you know, we have friends who have said, we're going to be available for counseling for what do you do when you no longer have soccer to watch? And I said, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go and watch other people's kids play soccer. I think that's what I'll do. Um, yeah. So I'm just anticipating, um, giving myself space to grieve. Um, but also, knowing that God's going to bring some new things into that season. And I'm excited about that. So I think what's challenging in transition is oftentimes there's this mix of, of grief and anticipation. And it's, it's tempting to want to do one or the other. Like I'm just going to wallow in all that I've lost, or I'm just going to forget it and look ahead and be excited. And to hold both intention, I f- it feels such like such a strain on our hearts. Like, Oh, you know, cause it makes, your heart feel really full. But I think that's part of the honesty of it is the reality is it is a mix of, of grief and excitement. Um, so yeah, I think just we're trying to think of how will we be intentional with our time and with our community and who are the people that God might ask us to invest more in this season now that we have some more time freed up. And for me, like when our son left um, two years ago, we were driving one day and I said to my husband something about like how I was feeling the impact of him being gone. And he, he naively said, wait, I'm wondering why you're feeling this so much more than me. And I said, really? You're wondering why the woman who stayed at home with him for the last 18 years is feeling the loss more than you? Like, and he was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's true. That's right. Um, so, yeah. The one who homeschooled him and, you know, um, so 
I know that it will probably impact me differently than my husband. And so even just going into it with that consciousness of, I'm going to need some mom friends who've, who've, you know, become empty nesters to, you know, just step in and encourage me and relate to me. Um, Because it will be different than my husband. I love that both and though of anticipation and grief that we need to hold those together in tension, even though it feels Mm -hmm. stretching and Mm -hmm. difficult. Well, speaking of the both and, I would love to wrap up our conversation, Gina, with um, hearing from you about uh, our words, fierce and lovely, and how you resonate or don't with those words, if you see an intersection of them Mm -hmm. in your own life, um, and just any thoughts you have on fierce and lovely. I love those words. I think when you first put those out, um, I immediately thought of my daughter because she's 17 and, you know, she's just navigating high school and, um, like I said, being a soccer player and she's trying to do that with excellence. And I just, I want so much for her to be that kind of person that she could be fierce. Like I think last night she was, she was playing soccer and they played so hard against this really tough team. And I love that she's just bringing her all to this thing that she does, but also just that sense of loveliness of, of tenderness and, um, um, just being able to be vulnerable with, you know, with where she is. I just want her to be that, that kind of woman. And I think for me, when I think of those words together, the word that comes to mind is authenticity, because I feel like mm-hmm. that's a path that God has had me on for a while. Um, like it's really easy for me to try to put out a really put together, impressive um, facade for people. And it can feel like strength, but it's really, there's a lot of fear behind it of, you know, what if I'm not this, will you love me? And I feel like God's just been inviting me to um, a more authentic way of living where I can show up with the parts of me that feel weaker or um, helpless or needy. And that's just as real as the parts of me that feel competent and feel like I have a lot to offer. Um, so I think even like in this, the process of launching my book, it's just put me in this arena that feels really vulnerable and really overwhelming. Um, and so it's just been a good challenge to to live that that out the kind of what you're saying, the both and of, you know, being courageous in the face of things that are really frightening and also um, being mindful of myself and how am I doing? And when I do feel weak and overwhelmed, can I bring people into that and invite them in and allow them to minister to me and be okay with just bringing my messy self to them and and being received. So that's great. Gina, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us, your your authentic um, self. I've I've learned a lot and I learned a lot in the book that I wish I had had 10 <laughs> years ago <laughs> when we transitioned back from living mm-hmm. overseas as well. So I hope that it goes well. Um, I will obviously point everyone in the show notes to where they can find it and learn more about you. But I just appreciate you being on the yeah, show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Beth.